Uh oh, is everything okay? I hit the okay, good. I'm like, I yeah. thought you spilled your wine. I'm like, oh no, oh. we're never gonna get through this episode. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm also eating ice cream, um, which is like, I get it. You shouldn't be eating while you're podcasting, <laughs> but my ice cream's going to melt, and this is not our day job, people. <laughs> Believe it or not, I know it's shocking to hear, but podcasting is not our day job at all. In fact, we don't get paid for this, and we're doing it because we really like it, and it's, um, I think, making a big contribution to the community in terms of like providing advice and information and some insight into some of the things that you might not be able to get from your industry otherwise. So deal with it. <laughs> what flavor is it? Mint chocolate chip. Mm. It's Otto's favorite. With um, Ghirardelli chocolate fudge. I was like, it just needs a spot more chocolate. That was always my favorite in college after a night of drinking. I have no idea why. I would always want mint chocolate chip ice cream. It's very, yeah, I think it's very um, refreshing after drinking. Yeah. Yeah, I think the drinking also heightens the mint part of it. So <laughs> I'm totally here for it. <laughs> the only thing that disturbs me, though, is that this is the Tillamook um, mint chocolate chip ice cream, and it's not green, you know? Oh, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. It's white, so it looks like chocolate <laughs> chip ice cream. That's okay, though. She's amazing. Um, okay, so today, it's International Women's Day when we're recording this, because we record on Wednesday nights. And um, something we wanted to do to celebrate women and really kind of, like, reflect back on the things that inspire us to do what we're doing and, and like, kind of that we use, like, as a North Star in um, Founders Fika, as well as, like, our businesses is like trying to look at the women who have inspired us um we have this book it's called in the company of women by grace bonnie um and i sent a copy to deanna because i found it really powerful and impactful this is a collection of stories and kind of like a profile of 100 women who are makers, artists, entrepreneurs. This is their advice. This is their story. Um, and I find it something that I like to read casually, not my leisure. And it's, it's very inspirational. So we're going to talk tonight about some of our favorite entries from this. And there's a lot, we haven't been through all of them yet, but just the ones that have stood out so far. Right. Yep. So, um, Deanna, so you know, we tried to pick our favorite three entries in the book, and I think that there were just so many to choose from that I felt like it was really hard for me to stick to three. But I did take out key points from a few of them that I really liked that I wanted to talk about tonight. So I'll yes, let you start. Here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we both didn't follow the assignment, so that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I liked, like, a, from a lot of the, the different women in here, um, like, certain aspects like maybe like for one woman I really liked her um how she defined success yeah and for another woman maybe I like really liked um like how she overcame like a struggle so yeah um yeah I'll start like one that I so um one that I really liked was um from it's um Justina Blakeney probably pronouncing that wrong she's a designer artist and author in Los Angeles 
it is on page 129. So I just, I've liked a lot of her stuff. Um, mm -hmm. For example, let's see. Well, have you heard of the new Bohemians yeah. the book? I'm like, I feel like I've heard yeah. of that. Okay. I'm like, oh, yeah, so it's a New York Times bestseller that I definitely want to read now. <laughs> um, she's the author of that. And let's see. So things like she really liked were, um, in, so the question is, in your opinion, what are the top three things someone should consider before starting a business? One, if you crave stability, being a business owner is probably not the best idea. Two, you must be extraordinarily passionate about your work and truly love it in order to make things happen. And three, be really clear on what you want for your business. Then fake it till you make it. Wow. I couldn't agree more. With those things. I think yeah. that those are really the top three things that you need to think about. I mean, a hundred percent. Not that, not that like craving stability is antithetical to being a business owner. I think I would refine that one and say more that like craving um, stability while being inflexible makes it really hard to be a business mm -hmm. owner. You have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to be creative and think outside the box. Um, that was one of the quotes that I liked from one of my entries. Um, keep in mind that I also didn't have post-its near me, so I did not mark my pages. <laughs> We're just going to have to fly with this, okay? Um, but I, li I like that. Like number two and three especially, right? Um, you must be extraordinarily passionate about the work and truly love it in order to make things happen. So much of what you do get compensated for is not the part that you love about your job. And if you're just starting out, you probably should expect not to take a profit. You should be hoping to break even in the beginning of your business. You know, the, I think a, a really um, aspirational goal, a good goal to go for is to not take out debt to start out your business. You know, I think that's the, if you're doing that and you're kind of staying afloat, um, and breaking even or making a little bit of a profit, you're, you're ahead of the game. So mm -hmm. in order to successfully run your business, you have to care about what you're doing because you're not going to be compensated well enough in the beginning to justify or, or to like make it financially feasible to do the work. And if you don't love it and you're not getting paid for it, it's really hard to do the work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I'll also say to that, even once you're established, sometimes money is not enough to do the work, you know? Like, if you think about all the hats that you have to wear as a business owner, not only are you doing the skill or making the product that you're in business to sell, but you are doing your own receipts and accounting, and you're doing your own website design, and your own social media marketing, and all of these things that are necessary to run a business these days that are not directly tied to the creative process behind the work that you actually want to set. Mm -hmm. So you got to love it to invest that time. Yeah, for sure. You really do. Like think about the work that we do, right? Like I just said that we don't get paid for this podcast. Mm -hmm. We do love it though. You know, it would be wonderful if we can be yeah. paid for the podcast. I think that's definitely <laughs> yeah. a plus and that's the direction we want to go. But, you know, we both feel really passionately about like getting information out to the masses and um, trying to lift the tide by making people more informed about their their roles, their position, their rights, their liabilities, you know. Um, 
And that's why the podcast is so important to us. So I mm-hmm. love number two. Yeah. And then, of course, like, fake it till you make it. Man, I've said that a lot to a lot of people because it, it, and that's a little bit dangerous, right? Like, we don't want you to fake your skills or defraud anybody. Like, that's not what we're saying. But we are saying is that, like, faking it till you make it is kind of antithetical to imposter syndrome, which is what many mm-hmm. artists face. Um, I think that it's healthy to have a little bit of imposter syndrome because it keeps you constantly in check, right? But at the same time, mm-hmm. if you're if you're immobilized by the fear of like not being adequate, um, you're not going to be able to successfully move your business along. You got to take risks. So, great. Yeah, and um, she says too, like for her, um, it says name the biggest overall lesson you've learned in running a small business, and she says. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't make decisions based on fear. Know when to say no. Have faith in oneself and in the business. Be nice to people. Stay humble and give back. I love that. So I really like that. Yeah. yeah the don't make decisions out of fear. How many times have you said that, Deanna? <laughs> yeah. <all> the <laughs> yeah. I think that a lot of um, problems are rooted in that. You know, I mm-hmm. was counseling a student earlier this week. Um, she was trying to decide about an internship that she didn't. Like, it was in a subject matter area that she really had no interest in, but she got an offer. And she's trying to decide, and she's like, well, I don't really know about this, but what if I don't get any other offers from other internships? And I'm like, that is not a reason to spend your summer doing this internship because you're making a fear-based decision. And you're thinking about scarcity, right? Like, what if you don't get another internship here? But what if you do, right? And Mm -hmm. if you don't, do you want to waste your time doing something that you're not interested in doing? Do you think that if you don't take that internship and you don't get any other offers that you're just going to sit around and do nothing in the summer? You're not. You're going to do something. Mm -hmm. And I bet you that something is going to be better than taking this thing that's right in front of you because it's something that you are choosing to do. So, you know, we we try to coach people to think about things from an abundance mindset, a mindset of like, what are your goals and do your decisions that you're making right now help you achieve that goal? So be really clear on what you want for your business. That's number three of her top three things. And I think that goes to that. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. I mean, pretty much I said like everything um, from um, her, from Justina Blakeney, she's, you know, I really, really liked. um, And also it was like, what was the best piece of business advice you were given when you were starting out? She said, take a deep breath, then ask for double. (laughs) I like that a lot. I like that self-assuredness. And if you think about it, like these are, she's addressing these points because they're so common, right? And so everyone has that like, well, and by everyone, I mean women. Women come from a place of um, starting from the bottom going up, meaning that they are trying to prove themselves. They've spent time working towards something and they're here and they feel like they've proved themselves or they've earned um, their position by rising up to it. Whereas a lot of my interactions with men have been the opposite direction, which is, of course, I'm qualified. Of course, I'm this. Of course, I'm that. And I don't need to prove myself. And more, you're disproving that person. Um, so I think there is, that's part of the tension between like gender roles and in, in workplaces. Um, 
And I think that what she's speaking to here is like, you know, know what you're asking for and double it. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> because you're probably undercutting yourself to begin with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially, yeah, it goes back to the scarcity mindset too. Yeah. Yeah. You might think, oh, that's all I can get. So I'll just take a little bit and I should be happy. But yeah, you shouldn't be happy with just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. You, should, you shouldn't feel lucky to have what's in front of you. Like luck, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of quotes, really good quotes about luck. Uh, but my favorite <laughs> yeah. one is like, the harder I work, the luckier I get. You know, um, yeah. so, you know, try not to think about things like, right place right time sure that happens but also so does like hard work getting you to where you deserve mm -hmm. to be yeah which is one of the women that you um enjoy um for some reason i like this one's nice and short but tabby um jevison she's a writer magazine editor-in-chief for new york from new york um she's on page 20 and I think the thing that stood out to me is like the bold face font here that says, what's the best piece of business advice that you were given when you were starting out? And her answer was own everything, own everything. And I think that it goes towards the mindset that we're talking about, right? Like that ownership and just like free fall, trust fall, invest in yourself. Um, you know, literally speaking, own everything, meaning like take ownership of your business, have an entity. Um, don't go into bed with partners that you, you're not completely sure about. Don't split that equity. Own it. Own your business and make it your whole. Mm -hmm. um, and then from a philosophical standpoint, of course, like every decision that you make has a consequence. And sometimes that consequence is good or bad. I think it's easy for people to try to think about, you know, how does this bad consequence, like, how am I a victim of my situation? And I take this, you know, the way that I'm reading it, obviously, is a reflection of, like, what I view for my own, like, personal um, stance on things, which is, like, look inward first, right? Take accountability, own your decisions, and own the consequences of that. I think it's, it's counterintuitive, but it being able to admit when you're wrong or being able to say that like, okay, that didn't work out, we're going to pivot, that actually frees up a lot more space for creativity and collaboration and leadership. You know, if you are in a position where you are leading a team, admitting, taking ownership of mistakes or bad turns um, buys you a lot more credibility with your team. Also, it sets the tone, right? Like there's really no, it's not meant to be a hostile environment where there is a right or wrong decision when you're running a business um, or, or doing work in creativity. There is no right or wrong. It's just there's a better way, a more optimal way or a more efficient way. And if something doesn't work, pivot. You got to be flexible. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that putting the connotation of like, oh, you messed up and now we're not going to that's the kind of thing that stifles creativity. So that was like one thing that I, um, that stood out to me about her. And then the other piece of advice that she has is what is your personal or professional motto? And it's do what is in front of you. Um, I could not relate to that enough right now. 
like I said, we're in different phases of our lives. And uh, in this season of life, I have a lot of things colliding all at once. A lot of responsibilities to people, a lot of responsibilities in, in different facets of my life. And I've had more facets to my life now than I have ever in the past because I have the kids. Um, and there's just so much. And I live by the motto of like, you eat the elephant one bite at a time. So do what's in front of you, focus on the thing that you're trying to deal with, and then handle it as it comes. Because as someone who is easily distracted, like if you spread yourself too thin, you just can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so those are the two takeaways that I took from Tabby. Um, and I'm going to show the book cover just on our Spotify in case anyone wants to see what the book cover looks like, but we'll link it also in the notes. Okay. Yeah, I actually like started just writing, like jotting down like little notes too as I was going through this because I was seeing a lot of um, like reoccurring um, like themes, like a lot of people kind of saying the same things, you know, in a different way. But um, like one of them was yeah, like either like just do it, just start, like you said, do what's in front yeah, of you. Like perfection yeah, is so the enemy lot, yeah. of, of what's mm-hmm. the phrase? Perfectionism is the enemy of... Uh something i can't remember i'm drunk guys (laughs) um no paralyzed for the perfection i think i said that one Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh no i had one in here that was i'm like one of my post-its has says something similar (laughs) oh god um i'm looking for the other one the other one was actually the other person that i really liked was uh she was a designer. She's an interior designer, um, Genevieve. Um, oh, let me just look in the table of whatever it's called. Contents. Um, Genevieve Gorder. Do you remember her? Um, I think she was on Trading Places back in the day. I love uh, 58. 58. She's an interior designer. She, I think she was on, I want to say trading places or trading spaces back on HGTV. I haven't heard about that in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Okay, but hers was interesting to me. Um, And I don't know exactly what, but let me read the last one. What resources would you recommend to someone starting a creative business? Number one, embrace social media completely. It is the most incredible tool to feed your audience to engage and to advertise skillfully. You should have a portion of every day to do this as a creative business owner. Follow people in the field. Follow people who are really, really good at it to learn your craft. And I totally agree with that. Um, Two, create a no assholes policy. (laughs) Like my inner spirit. Nobody you work with or hire can have this quality. Life is too short and we are too sensitive to suffer unkind people. Live kind, your work will show it. And boy, can we not stress that enough. You know, mm-hmm. we we really want vendors to share the love amongst each other. Get rid of that scarcity mindset. There is enough business to go around and you don't need to sell your own services by undercutting your competitor or other professionals in the market. Don't be the asshole. Okay. <laughs> Um, Number three, travel to fill your tanks. We need to see harder than everyone else 
Um, if we're not seeing new life, we repeat ourselves. It's not a luxury. It is a necessity. And I actually read that quote to my husband today. Did you? No, I just remembered you said that. Yeah. Oh, good. Did you get it from yeah. this book? <laughs> yeah, from this book. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree yeah. with that. When I was shooting still, like travel was a really big part of um, mm-hmm. what I considered to be my work because it, it, it inspired a lot of creativity and inspiration. And, you know, all my wedding photographers know that when you're shooting the same venues over and over for the season, it's hard to get creative again. It's hard to try new things. But when you travel, you see the world through a new lens. You see it through a different point of view, like the local, the same way that when people come travel and visit your area um, and they look up and say, wow, look at these tall skyscrapers and and they notice the architecture and everything that you just kind of pass by. It's the same thing for you when you travel. Um, so it's one of those things that I think most people define as a luxury, but I agree that it is a necessity if you're in the creative field. Mm. yeah yeah that was on my list too of one of the reoccurring themes definitely travel yeah um one of her things that she put here was name a fear or professional challenge that keeps you up up at night and she says the juggle how do i keep all the balls in the air and make sure they are perfectly polished and Mm -hmm. i like i like that the question at all like first of all like asking what are you afraid of you know um i'm a strong believer in like I don't know what you call this, like immersive therapy, I suppose. Maybe there's a name for it, but basically like living in your fear. I call it living in your fear, which is like addressing head on. What are the things that you're most afraid of? Like define it. Mm-hmm. If you are, you know, and I say this, of course, as I have like a growing cache of like Instagram posts that I want to put up that I haven't put up. But like, you know, my example of that is like, if I were to address that issue, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of losing followers. For some reason, when I post things, I lose followers. (laughs) I'm afraid of people not liking what I'm putting up there. I'm afraid of like having a lower count of likes because of whatever bullshit reason, right? Like we've been conditioned to measure our value, our credibility, our worth based on the public reaction. And I think it's Mm -hmm. paralyzing me a little bit, even though ironically Deanna you know me like I really don't give an f about people and what they think right Um, yeah yeah so it's definitely surprising yeah to hear you it's surprising to me too which is why like this exercise is so important right like living in your fear Mm -hmm. addressing what what that would be um but I think I guess for me the bigger thing isn't about my own credibility it's just that there's this social credibility is such a beast and it's so significant it has so much significance that I feel like my voice doesn't have as much weight behind it if I don't have social credibility behind it, which I can't control. Mm-hmm. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if there's a good answer for that, but I think the answer is, like they say here, just do it. Mm-hmm. Just get back at yeah. it. What's another one that you liked? I liked um, Janet Mock on page 57. She's an author and television host. So I liked for her, um, well, like one of the ones was like name, you know, name a fear or professional challenge that keeps you up at night. So kind of what we were just talking about. And she's like, a consistent fear is, am I doing enough? Does my work really matter? (laughs) 
Um, what I always have to remind myself is that it's okay to recognize that doubt, but that it cannot stay for long. Um, it's a visitor that ensures I'm always cognizant of where I am with myself and my work. So I think it's important. Like she's saying, like, no, it can't stay there long. <laughs> Don't indulge. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I liked also, um, um, let's see, it was, uh, what does success mean to you? I define success in writing and hosting my, um, by asking, sorry, I define success in writing and hosting by asking two questions. Are you able to show up, be yourself, and tell the truth no matter what? And are you able to create a space where other people feel welcome to share their truth? So I really, I really like that. Yeah. I like that. I think that's really honest and that's pretty poignant for um, a television host too, right? Somebody who works with people on the spot. I like that. Also, she's beautiful. Um, Yeah, she's just got mm -hmm. such a radiant picture here. Um, Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I really liked her too about, um, she was talking about um, boundaries and let's see, what was that? Um, Oh, that has to do with her mistakes. Has learning from a mistake ever led you to success? A mistake I made at the beginning of my public writing career was being a bit too open and transparent. I learned that I needed to create boundaries, clear and exacting, that I would not cross until I was truly ready to share these things publicly. It was an early mistake that required me to realize that not all of me was up for public consumption. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I I want her to expand more on that. You know, I want to learn a little bit more about that. Um, You know, my... Go ahead. I, oh, no, say, I think sometimes I like struggle even on social media of like how much of my true self do I show right like out on social media because um, sometimes you know I feel like I want to connect more with my clients um, but then sometimes you know yeah I just think I need to keep it professional especially as a, an attorney. Ironically when I started out you know I had the same um, kind of thoughts as you And then when I decided I had enough business and I'm like, I don't need whatever, like I started sharing a lot more of myself and my authentic reality. And that created a more like deep fellowship, you know, Um, and more Mm -hmm. conversation between me and other people online, which I really enjoyed. So I found that I surprisingly enjoyed it more when I shared a little bit more of myself in my personal life where I would normally not consider doing that. Like um, sometimes I would share pictures of me and my son, um, one son at the time. Um, and, and I wanted to, because I, because the connection goes both ways. I definitely feel like when I have more engagement with my clients on social media, I feel closer to them. I definitely feel like I want mm-hmm. them to know like, Hey, here's my kid. And um, he says, hi you know it's just I definitely enjoy having a more personal relationship with my clients than I initially thought when I was starting out as a lawyer would be appropriate Mm so I don't know and and you know how I feel about radical honesty like that's just my stuff (laughs) I'm very much for radical honesty and so I'm curious to know more about like her experiences with um oversharing yeah that was a good one um, the other one that I really liked was Jasmine Wright on page 101. This is a tattoo artist in San Diego. Uh, is she talking about the playlist? I think I have her on Oh, here. what? She, I love, she talks about like her playlist, how they're really important. I think that's her. Was it? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay, Jasmine Wright. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I liked yeah. her too. 
<laughs> um, she, you know, her opening line is throw hesitation and insecurity out the window, which obviously is easier said than done. But you guys, you got to the first step towards like doing the hard things is saying it out loud, you know, say it out loud, get that uncomfortable piece out of the way. The more you normalize the discomfort, the less uncomfortable it becomes. Um, she says here that the question is, what characteristic do you most admire in other creative women? And her answer is the fearlessness it requires to be your own architect, to have a vision for your life plan, no matter how obscure, and to take it um, all by the horns and make it yours. Right? This kind of comes back to ownership. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, and then what is the biggest sacrifice you've made in your career slash line of work? And her response is over the past few years, the tattoo world has seen um, has been gaining popularity due to several television shows. This has led to a giant misconception among the general public that being a tattoo artist is the quote unquote rock star career where you'll land on TV and make tons of money. Let me be the one to break it to them that this that this it's not. Uh, many people don't realize that this career path is heavily laden with deep traditions due and dues to be paid and an unimaginably huge amount of sacrifice and effort to be put into it if you want to do it right. And I think that many of our clients can kind of relate to that because um, in the creative industry, the barrier to entry has been lowered and lowered and lowered over time through technology. Um, I see that with photographers who started by shooting film, you know, and then digital came along and it became cheaper and cheaper to shoot. And then the market became oversaturated. And then you've got mm -hmm. the spray and pray artists who are just spray and pray, right? <laughs> um, so I can, I can relate to that. And I think that they're, you know, for the folks who are entering any market, any industry, pay some respect, right? Like learn from the people who have been there before. Learn from you need to understand what is industry standard and what is industry norm, even if you're going to book it. Because, you know, if you are going against the grain, good for you, but make sure your clients understand that you're going against the grain, right? Don't throw the rest of the industry under the bus just because you want to do it your way. Um, mm -hmm. It makes it really hard for everyone else who is doing their own thing if you're giving the impression that your way is the right way or you you know anything other than this is abnormal when really it's flipped around mm -hmm. yeah that's really important um, yeah with, with jasmine i was um i liked her section about the what tool object or ritual could you not live without in your work day i think it's just something that used to be really important to me and i kind of like lost sight of and it just reminded me of how much I just love music and how music can really just change your mood um and she talks about she says I can't begin to explain how much of a difference the daily soundtrack can make in my work day I've also found this subject to be the most common battle among coworkers, but my iPod is like gold to me it sets my pace and mood for whatever project I have in front of me and it changes between each client and tattoo mm -hmm. it becomes a very important ritual to select an appropriate playlist for my day it has nothing to do with tattooing, but everything to do with it as well. Um, yeah, I just feel like 
it just reminded me like how much I just used to like love music. And I, I, I kind of saw a few more people talk about it. And like one person, one of the women says, you know, when she's having a bad day or something, she'll listen to Beyonce, like um, who runs yeah. the world. And I'm like, I need to get back to that. Yeah. Um, what's on your playlist? What's, what's your like go to comfort soundtrack, you know, or song? I mean, I definitely, I will like play some Beyonce if I need just like a, you know, like a lift um, to feel um, like I, I got this, I can do it. Um, but yeah, honestly, I feel like I just I haven't really listened to music in a while. Like not, like, not really. I <laughs> dare you to feel sad if you're listening to Donna Lewis. Remember that song? I love you always forever. <laughs> like that's yes. such a good one. Or Kylie Minogue. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Turn that song on, the uh, Kylie Minogue song on once, and you have an instant dance party. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, there are definitely yeah. some songs I don't that know, just like... invoke a happy time in your life, a different season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know about you. I just feel like over the years, like a lot of things that I used to just be really interested in, like, I don't know, just life just got in the way, mm-hmm. and I kind of put them all to the back burner. Yeah. So definitely music, art, um, I know we've talked about this before. Just I need more me time and hobbies. More me time and hobbies. And, you know, um, Mm -hmm. she talks, not just her, but a few people talk about their routine involving audio and playlists Mm -hmm. and everything like that. Um, And it does make a difference. Like, you know, Deanna and I have talked offline about this before and like how difficult mornings have been because my husband is in charge of mornings and I do the evenings with the kids. And um, it's very challenging for him because the kids are always, you know, changing what they want to eat and blah 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 and like he does not do well with change so it's been mm-hmm. a lot of mornings of a lot of loud mornings that should not be that loud for before 8 a.m and um so i've took it taken over the mornings we've switched and around and one of the things that i've been doing is um i play music in the morning because it's part of my daily routine it's part of my ritual is like i need yeah. to start my day on a good positive note and the best way to do that is either through a podcast that I find really uplifting or through music. And mm-hmm. my kids are like me. We like to dance and move. So if we hear a good song, we'll probably dance around. And um, we've been listening to like the weekend radio on Spotify. Um, that's a really fun one. It's not fully kid appropriate, mm-hmm. but it is a really good morning <laughs> boost. Um, yeah, it's a good mix. And then, of course, podcasts. Yeah, we yeah. talked about that too. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely been yeah adding more podcasts to my morning. But yeah, I think even in the book too, they ask some people like about morning rituals, and it just made me really think too. Like, I don't really have a morning ritual, you so don't? it definitely like made me think about what a lot do you of do things. In the morning? Not, nothing like, like what, do, what do you? Um... It changes every. Usually, immediately go to email. Like, still laying oh, in bed on oh, my phone checking email. I gave that up. One of those. Yeah, I gave that up in 2019, <laughs> right before the pandemic. I said I'm no longer checking emails before work anymore. Yeah. Because that That's it derails smart. your day. It really derails your mm-hmm. day. You you start saying, oh, crap, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that yeah. instead. But, like, yeah, I found to me that, like, checking emails, the emails then dictate what I'm doing for the day. Whereas if I don't prioritize emails and communication from other people first – I have a set list of things that I want to do or that I need to do. And then emails are mentally deprioritized for me. So even though I get to them, it's just like 
I'm not going to drop everything for it. It's more I'm going to fit the email into where I have time to deal with the projects that I have. So yeah. try that, Deanna. Just baby That's steps. A much better way. Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. And I, I do like I. It definitely gets in the way of like, oh, I'm going to work out every morning. And then I don't because I'm immediately like, oh, I need to do this. I, I work better in the morning. Like I'll work out yeah. later and then that never happens. Or yeah. So yeah. baby steps. I definitely need to yeah, change my morning routine. At our age, Deanna, we can no longer just change our morning routine. We have to like baby step into it. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, who, did, who else did you like? I like the, let's see, um, Hannah, I'm going to say her name wrong, Hannah Gatachu, page 115. 15. Okay. Oh. Yeah. She's a textile oh, designer yes, in like Brooklyn. Too. Yeah. And let's see. Um, I, was, I like the business advice. Um, so that's kind of what we talked about yeah. before. So what was the best piece of business advice you were given when you were starting out? She says, just start. Even if you're only 60% there, just start. If I hadn't heard this, I'd probably still be planning my launch. I'm not a perfectionist, but I definitely like to be prepared yep. and to always feel like I've given my work as much thought and effort as possible. Yeah. I like that one too. I, I saw that one and I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. definitely one we want to point out. Um, I also liked her response to in moments of self-doubt or adversity, how do you build yourself back up? I think we all have those moments. Um, this is something I'm still trying to navigate. I always try to step back and see the current moment as just that, a moment that will soon pass. I try to remind myself that every mistake made is a lesson learned and a step towards improving that, um, improving and that perseverance is my greatest asset. I've also been known to play my girl power playlist incredibly loudly. Beyonce reminding me who oh, runs yeah. the world. <laughs> That's her. Yeah. I was like, I remember someone said that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. And, you know, uh, like unsolicited information as always from me. Um, I will say that having kids unlocked a like superpower in me. And I told you this before when we were working Mm -hmm. um, together in, in like our consumer practice, but like, having kids was a game changer for me because it taught me how to prioritize things and it forced me to put myself first ironically right um and being able to prioritize things and see things more clearly is such a huge benefit because you no longer have yourself standing in the way like I was no longer standing in the way of myself because things had to get done and it allowed me to get over this like idea of perfectionism because now it's impossible for me to be perfect at anything and mm-hmm. I can accept that, you know? So um, I really, I know how hard it is to be a working mom, especially a working mom who's running your own business. And this is kind of our love letter to that, you know, like all of you women who are juggling everything everything for your family you're like at the center especially at this age where people are living longer so you might be responsible for aging parents you might be responsible for young children um you might be responsible for teenagers nieces nephews you know you're kind of at the nucleus of like your your immediate family and it's just holding a lot so 
you know, no one expects perfectionism. And I think the hardest critics that we have are ourselves. If we're being like really honest with like how mm-hmm. um, the things that are stopping us from doing the things that we want to do. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, and then name the biggest overall lesson you've learned in running a business. And she says, patience and agility. I really had to learn to go with the flow. I'm a huge planner, but things often don't go according to plan. <laughs> Sometimes a shipment gets stuck in customs or the labels come in wrong sizes or they run out of uh, medium gray yarn um, and all of Adidas. Oh, oh God. How do you say that? Now I'm self-conscious about reading again. <laughs> Page 116. Uh, Adidas. Ababa? Is Ababa? it pronounced Adidas, though? A-D-D-I-S? Addis? Addis Ababa? Addis? Addis? Oh, shit. Oh, God. Ignorance swell. I don't know. Okay. Run out of all kinds of yarns in a specific place. I have to be prepared to take the givens of any scenario, work with what I've got, and avoid having a meltdown. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting, too. The what is your no-fail go-to when you need inspiration or to get out of a creative rut? Um, I actually have the opposite problem. I usually have way too many ideas, more than I could possibly explore in a reasonable amount of time. I think both problems, um, no ideas and too many ideas, can be paralyzing. Constantly having to evaluate and edit for the best result is what great designers do. When working for interior projects, I often would have 10 options. I explore on my own before narrowing those down to a few to show to the client. I admire designers who are more decisive and have an inherent sense of the best options. I need to hone that skill. Luckily, textile design lends itself to iterating more than interior design does. If I want to have 10 colorways and 10 variations of a pattern, I can. I think that's super insightful. Like mm-hmm. the thing that I take out of here is her sentence about, I admire designers who are more decisive and have an inherent sense of the best options. Um, and recognizing what you admire about a peer is a really helpful way to kind of like assess your priorities. Yeah. That was a good one. And her apartment is super yeah. cute or studio, whatever this is. I love it. <laughs> I, I love the bay windows. Is, yeah. I was looking at that too. It is really cute. Um, I liked some of the, like, what would you do with like a hundred million dollars? Like one that I really liked was um, on page 65. Again, probably going to pronounce her name wrong. Um, uh, Samin Nosrat. Samin Nosrat. How do you pronounce it? Samin Nosrat. Uh, the first Samin. Samin Nosrat. Um, she's a chef and author in Berkeley. So she talked about um, if she was given $100 million, what would she do to run her business differently? And she said she'd make three basic changes that I, I really liked. Um First, she said, I'd build a beautiful, inspiring works- workspace that could function as both my writing office and teaching and test kitchen, as well as a place where I could host lar- larger gatherings, such as book signings and special dinners. There'd be lots of natural light, high ceilings, art installations by some of my favorite artists, an outdoor wood-burning oven and grill, vegetable and flower gardens, and most definitely a napping spot. 
It's just like, <laughs> I would do the same thing. Um, the second she'd um, hire a support staff and support them. She said, I easily get lost in the nitty gritty of running small business and bring on hardworking people who could take care of the stuff at which I'm not adept. So I could focus on the work that only I can do from designers to accountants, to teachers, um, to someone to manage everyone. I'd look to hire intelligent, talented, independent people who'd be stoked about working together towards the central goal teaching, inspiring, and encourage, encouraging everyone to cook and prior to, prioritize the act of coming together for a meal. And I would take really good care of them as their employer. I love that. And then the last one, yeah. yeah. The last one, um, I'd find I'd find a nonprofit organization. Um, I've always admired the work of 826 Valencia, a nonprofit established by Dave Eggers to support under-resourced students with their writing skills. I loved how he uses newfound literary notoriety to recruit all of his well-known writer friends to participate and support 826 and turn bringing all sorts of attention to the organization. I believe it's just as vital to support kitchen literacy in our youth and would be thrilled to use some of my magic money to establish a culinary analog to 826 and get everyone I know involved. I just really loved those. I mean, not that I'm like, you know, a chef or anything, but just the idea of this beautiful outdoor kitchen, taking care of your employees, like just really treating everyone well. Having a space, right? Like having your own beautiful yeah. space that you can really be yourself in, um, sharing abundance. Like there really is a lot to say about giving, right? Giving back. Mm-hmm. That's why we enjoy the spirit of like the holidays, right? The season of giving. Um, so being able to contribute to to your your peers, your staff and um, share that abundance is something that's super rewarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I liked her her like favorite thing to start the day. What's the first thing you do every morning to start your day on the right foot? Take my antidepressants. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she was funny. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, you know, depression, anxiety, those are kind of the those are really important ingredients, I think, to creativity. <laughs> Being really honest, she also said, "In moments of self self doubt or adversity, how do you build yourself back up?" Therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one word therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other one that stood out to me was on page one seventy one, Louise Philly, a graphic designer in New York, and she starts off her entry by saying. I named my company Louise Philly LTD Limited because I wanted to send a message, which was this. If you have a problem with my being female, then I don't want you as a client. And I love that. This is my kind of woman right here. Yeah. 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 Um, What was the best piece of business advice you were given when you were starting out? Get paid up front. You hear that, ladies? Get paid up front. No more... I'll take my payment on the day of the wedding <laughs> or I'll take mm-hmm. my payment um, when I deliver the last thing to you. Get yeah. right up front. Um, has learning from a mistake ever led you to success? A junior designer once made a $10,000 printing error on a job simply by not taking the time to ask me one question. Fortunately, the printer didn't make me pay, but instead invited me um, to design a promotion for him, which became one of my favorite pieces. That is a very lucky situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know we were talking about luck earlier, but this one was so out of her hands that this is purely luck, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Ooh. Um, and then at what point in your life did you first learn about your field of work? What called you to it? I love that question, actually. This is a really good question that I think gets overlooked a lot. Her answer is, even before I knew what graphic design was, I knew it was something that I wanted to do. When I was growing up, this term was hardly in use. It was known instead as the very unsexy commercial art. At age 16, I sent away for an um, osmeroid pen. An os... Oh, God, I don't know. Osmeroid? I don't know. I've never heard of it. <laughs> Generational gap people. I sent away for an osmeroid pen advertised in the back of the New Yorker and taught myself calligraphy. I would soon be running a relatively lucrative business making illuminated manuscripts of Bob Dylan's lyrics for classmates. Once I got to college, I discovered that everything I was in, interested in, type, calligraphy, making books, was in fact graphic design. I love that. Do you, you know why I love that, right, Deanna? Like, I think you know. That's you. That's that was me. <laughs> I judge my mic, do it the same time. Um, <laughs> you know, I love that because this person didn't, find their their workspace or their their area of work by what was already available they kind of like Mm -hmm. this this is the advice that I try to give to my students um when they're trying to pick what they want to do in law or like as a career in general just like when I work with teenagers too um the advice that I give them is ignore the questions about what do you want to be when you grow up you know what area of law do you want to practice ignore that Mm -hmm. the greater question is how do you envision your life? How do you envision your life in 10 years? Because 10 years goes by really fast. I've learned. It goes yeah. by crazy fast. And when I was that age, I did not think it went by that fast. Um, you know, do you see yourself living a life that where you have children? And if you have those children, what does that relationship look like? What are you doing on weekends? Are you hiking? Are you going to the beach? Are you traveling? What does your ideal life look like and how does your career fit into that? Because if it, if it looks like a certain way, for example, you see yourself surfing on weekends and that's something you're super into, it's part of your lifestyle, don't take a job in Chicago, okay? Yeah. Like even if it pays really well, that's, you're not going to be happy because at the end of the day, like the first person said, you got to be passionate about your work, even if it's a nine to five, because- there will be a point where money is not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I really like the way her approach to this. She has the privilege of thinking about it from the top down, which is, here's what I love to do. Ah, this already exists. Let me do that in college instead. Most people say, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what I want to do, but I'm going to do this thing that has a familiar name to me, molecular cellular mm-hmm. biology. That sounds about right. And then you do it and you're like, oh, shit, I don't like this at all. But it's too late to get out. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, who else did you like? I did like her thing here about like, wait, was it her? That's like this. Um, oh, yeah. What's the first thing you do in the morning to start your day on the right foot? Walk to work. It helps me clear my head. And my goodness when i before the pandemic when i was walking that short walk from the ferry to my office made such a huge difference in being able to juggle so many things because i would like 
commute to work, so 25 minutes on the ferry, writing my Instagram for the day and, and kind of doing that stuff. On the walk to work, I would post it and do like maybe a, a live or something and then work, you know, but it really yeah. helped a lot to kind of like create clarity, create space in my day. So I do miss having a commute. Yeah, I can relate. Um, there's, yeah, as much as I like working from home, there's so much that I miss and that is definitely one yeah. of them. I was just talking with my um, my friend that I used to live with out in Hollywood and I had like, I think like a one mile walk to the Metro then I take it to downtown LA. Um, and I also live next to Runyon Canyon. So I would just Ooh. be like hiking every morning. Yeah. You know, I had like a two mile, like round trip walk, like, you know, to the subway and back. And then I sometimes go hiking again. And I just, I was in great physical shape. I, I felt good. Like, yeah, I really, that commute actually was so important. Um, yeah. And now I don't have that. I know it's hard. And even yeah. with the dog, poor Penny has been inside because it's been raining so hard. Weather, yeah, I yeah. thought that like getting a dog would help me make up for that commute time. And um, I'm just feeling my dog now. <laughs> poor Penny. Aww. Yeah, I need to stop checking my emails in the morning so I actually get out of the house and go for a walk. Or maybe you only yeah. check emails while you're on a walk. <laughs> maybe you make it productive. Yeah. But I was trying to get the podcast into the, like, incorporate that into my walk. But I, I only did it maybe, like, twice last week instead of every day. I love podcasts. Um, baby steps. You should listen said. to the um the ones I was telling you about because those are stories. And I, like, my brain's always like, what happened? I want to know what happens next. So I finish it. Yeah. I started listening to the Mariah Carey one. That's a good one. Um, while I was shampooing the carpet. <laughs> yeah. I liked that one a lot more than I thought I would. I thought it was going to ruin Mariah Carey for me, but I, there's a lot that I didn't know about her apparently. So that yeah, really I didn't fun. finish it, but um, but yeah, I, I was pretty interested. I need to finish that one. Um, let me see. Did yeah. you have another one? Yeah, there was Karen Young on page seventy-six. She's a product designer, entrepreneur in Brooklyn. So I liked how she, um, what success meant to her. She says, my business has changed what success means to me. When I was younger, my idea of success revolved around tangible things, the things I assumed I'd buy with my hard-earned money. With age and wisdom, I'm more interested in the time and people I enjoy it with. Success now looks like lengthy dinners with friends, laughter, time with family, and as much travel as I can fit into my life. My motto is experiences over things. I love that. Ooh, you know how much I love that experiential things um, yeah. instead of like tangible things. Um, yeah. It reminds me when I started out in photography, you know, you set these goals for yourself and I came from law. So it's not like I was, I wasn't using money as like my measure of success. Um, only, you know, trying to stay out of debt. But like I said to myself that like, Success to me would look like getting booked to do um, destination weddings. To me, that's success because I'm good enough or like desirable enough to have somebody say, no, this is the one and I'm going to fly you out. Um, mm. So when that happened for me, that was a huge milestone. I just felt so invigorated by it. It was, it was like the dream come true. And I still remember it to, to this day. I It was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, you know, 
clients who found me on their own through SEO, right? Um, someone who I'm so close with these people. I really enjoy my clients and they flew me out to Hawaii and I shot my first destination wedding that I booked on my own. Um, and it was great. It was a really big feeling of accomplishment, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. I hope people are setting milestones like that. Like this is the reason I left law at that time. This is, it made it really worth it for me um, to make those sacrifices and, and take, it was more than like financial instability when I left law to do photography. It was also like reputational. It was relationships with my friends from law school. It was something that was just so taboo at the time that I was putting a lot more on the line than just money. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. I, I like this um, example of like putting your experiences as like a measure of success. Yep, same here. And then the, also with um, Karen, she talks about authenticity. Um, what does the world need more of or less of? I think the world needs more authentic, honest, and vulnerable connections. As an individual, I think this results in richer relationships. And as a businesswoman, I find that the result is a sincere collaboration between my customer and me. Less polish, more authenticity. That's such a perfect one because I was going to bring that one up too. So I'm really glad that you picked that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. I think you know, we talk about authenticity on social media and ironically, it's not authentic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just love everything about that. And I, yeah. you know, um, I hope that this was like an inspirational episode to people who are listening and um, in a couple of different ways, like here's, you know, thoughts and tips of like other creative, successful women, but also just like the fears and, um, sensitivities or insecurities that you might have about your own business are common. Like it's something that we all share. We might not talk about it, but like it's the common thread because at the same time, if you're, if you don't have these complex emotions that create vulnerability in you, you're likely to have your work and your art suffer, right? You're not going to be as creative. Um, so understand that those things go hand in hand. Embrace the fear. Yeah. Embrace, you know, your options and the unknown. Just go for it. Because what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Definitely, yeah. And I think also, yeah, a lot of the stories here to say, have patience. And, you know, if you fail, who cares? Like, just, you know, try again. Yeah. Like, you know, we've been hearing that our whole life, but really, like, that is, that's it. It's like, true. Who cares? It's not the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really isn't. Yeah. And, you know, one of the common threads in, in the book that I noticed that I, we didn't talk about tonight was um, the things that a lot of the women look forward to most or brings on the most satisfaction or whatever relates back to having family or kids and how that fills mm -hmm. them. Um, and yeah you don't have to have kids or, or like a biological family to feel that. I think that your chosen family, the human connection is the common thread. So um, it's okay to like have those worlds intersect, you know, 
I think that's another thing for at least for me coming from a professional background in law and like what's supposed to be this like white collar button up world of like taboo to talk about your kids or have kids even like the existence of children is taboo um been conditioned to think about separating my professional life and my personal life and at least for me as someone who believes in radical honesty and in candor um I found that to be extremely difficult and more taxing to do than to just like let it all hang out and, and excel at my work mm-hmm. and focus on the work. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that I love about you. Aww. And yeah. Yeah. And I think you're rubbing off. So <laughs> I hope yeah. that I can, you know, show my more authentic self. Yeah. And just get over it. Like, yeah. How we're preconditioned to you know we should do? keep our lives separate. <laughs> we should swap like posts you know like I, yeah. <laughs> I should give you all my my post cachet and then you can post him at will and then I'll post the like authentic videos that you make about yourself on your um stories for you <laughs> basically just need someone to pull the trigger or push us over the edge yeah no. yeah um but this is you know I, I I love this series I love this book um Deanna and I want to interview some of you all as well for like a bonus podcast every week um, to do exactly this, which is pull back the curtain on other peers that might be in your physical locality or just in the general industry to begin with. Um, We need to foster more of an environment of like collaboration and curiosity um, over like hiding the ball, you know? Um, so we'd like to do that more in the future. We have some people that we'd like to interview and get that series, um, built up a little bit before we release it, but look forward to that in the coming months here. Um, and then another thing that Deanna and I want to work on, like it's in early days, absolutely. But I want to, I'm just going to put it out there and manifest it into the universe. Okay, Deanna. Um, but you know, we have the benefit of working with small business owners, And we have learned so much about the experiences and the practices that you all have and how different they are and how you can each benefit from hearing other things because everyone's a little bit siloed um, amongst themselves with regards to how things work for businesses behind the scenes. There's no one win. There's no one right way to do something. So we are working on putting together a retreat in the fall, probably in Southern California, um, for small creative business owners to come collaborate, um, attend workshops around strategy, wellness, balance, um, and collaboration amongst each other. So look out for that. Um, the goal is to get that done this year and have our first, um, retreat or conference or whatever we decide to call it um, happen this year and and we'll continue to refine it and tweak it but we really want people to come with an open mind and an open heart and um, participate so keep your eyes open for that in the meantime um, join us on our slack we'll drop a link in our show notes and follow us on instagram i'm creatives.legalresource creatives.legal.resource and Deanna is decosmolaw.creatives. Uh, did we forget anything, Deanna? 
that's yeah. I think that's it. Just awesome. I know this won't be um aired until afterwards, but happy International Women's Day to everybody. Yay. Happy International Women's Day, everyone. Have a good one. Um, see you guys next week. And before we go, there's a few things you should know. Founders Vita is for educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. Always consult an attorney licensed in your state if you need legal help. In some states like California, this podcast may be considered attorney advertising.